Chapter 38 of The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. Translated and edited by E. Allison Pierce. There are great things here for us to meditate upon, sisters, and to learn to understand as we pray. Remember, I consider it quite certain that those who attain perfection do not ask the Lord to deliver them from trials, temptations, persecutions, and conflicts. And that is another sure and striking sign that these favors and this contemplation which His Majesty gives them are coming from the Spirit of the Lord and are not illusions. For as I said a little way back, perfect souls are in no way repelled by trials, but rather desire them and pray for them and love them. They are like soldiers. The more wars there are, the better they are pleased, because they hope to emerge from them with the greater riches. If there are no wars, they serve for their pay, but they know they will not get very far on that. Believe me, sisters, the soldiers of Christ, namely those who experience contemplation and practice prayer, are always ready for the hour of conflict. They are never very much afraid of their open enemies, for they know who they are and are such that their strength can never prevail against the strength which they themselves have been given by the Lord. They will always be victorious and gain great riches, so they will never turn their backs on the battle. Those whom they fear, and fear rightly, and from whom they always beg the Lord to deliver them, are enemies who are treacherous, devils who transform themselves and come and visit them in the disguise of angels of light. The souls fail to recognize them until they have done it a great deal of harm. They suck our lifeblood and put an end to our virtues, and we go on yielding to temptation without knowing it. From these enemies, let us pray the Lord often in the Paternoster to deliver us. May he not allow us to run into temptations which deceive us. May their poison be detected, and may light and truth not be hidden from us. How rightly does our good Master teach us to pray for this, and pray for it in our name. Consider, daughters, in how many ways these enemies do us harm. Do not suppose that the sole danger lies in their making us believe that the consolations and favors which they can counterfeit to us come from God. This, I think, in a way, is the least harmful thing they can do. It may even help some whom this sensible devotion entices to spend more time in prayer and thus to make greater progress. Being ignorant that these consolations come from the devil and knowing themselves to be unworthy of such favors, they will never cease to give thanks to God and will feel the greater obligation to serve him. Further, they will strive to prepare themselves for more favors which the Lord may grant them, since they believe them to come from his hand. Always strive after humility, sisters, and try to realize that you are not worthy of these graces, and do not seek them. It is because many souls do this, I feel sure, that the devil loses them, He thinks that he has caused their ruin. But out of evil, which he has been trying to do, the Lord brings good. For his majesty regards our intention, which is to please him and serve him and keep him near in prayer. And the Lord is faithful. We shall do well to be cautious and not let our humility break down or to become in any way vainglorious.
Entreat the Lord to deliver you from this, daughters, and you need then have no fear that his majesty will allow you to be comforted much by anyone but himself. Where the devil can do great harm without our realizing it is in making us believe that we possess virtues, which we do not. That is pestilential. For when consolations and favors come to us, we feel that we are doing nothing but receive and have the greater obligation to serve. But when we suffer from this other delusion, we think that we are giving and serving and that the Lord will be obliged to reward us. And this, little by little, does us great deal of harm. On the one hand, our humility is weakened, while on the other, we neglect to cultivate that virtue, believing we have already acquired it. We think we are walking safely, when, without realizing it, we stumble and fall into a pit from which we cannot escape. Though we may not consciously have committed any mortal sin which would have sent us infallibly to hell, we have sprained our ankles and cannot continue on that road which I began to speak about, which I have not forgotten. You can imagine what kind of progress will be made by anyone who is at the bottom of a huge pit. It will be the end of him altogether, and he would be lucky if he escapes falling right down to hell. At best, he will never get on with his journey. This being so, he will be unable to help himself or others. It will be a bad thing for others, too, for once the pit has been dug, a great many passers-by may fall into it. Only if the person who has fallen in gets out of it and fills it up with earth will further harm to himself and others be prevented. But I warn you that this temptation is full of peril. I know a great deal about it from experience, so I can describe it to you, though not as well as I should like. What can we do about it, sisters? To me, the best thing seems to be what our Master teaches us. There is something else, too, which I want to tell you. If we think the Lord has given us a certain grace, we must understand that it is a blessing which we have received, but which he may take away from us again, as indeed in the great providence of God often happens. Have you never observed this yourself, sisters? I certainly have. Sometimes I think I'm extremely detached, and in fact, when it comes to the test, I am. Yet, at other times, I find I have such attachment to things which the day before I should perhaps have scoffed at that I hardly know myself. At some other time, I seem to have so much courage that I should not quell at anything I was asked to do in order to serve God. And when I am tested, I find that I really can do these things. And then on the next day, I discover that I should not have the courage to kill an ant for God's sake if I were to meet with any opposition about it. Sometimes it seems not to matter in the least if people complain or speak ill of me. And when the test comes, I still feel like this. Indeed, I even get pleasure from it. And then there comes days when a single word distresses me and I long to leave the world altogether for everything in it seems to worry me. And I'm not the only person to be like this, for I have noticed the same thing in many people better than myself, so I know it can happen. That being so, who can say that he possesses any virtue 
or that he is rich if at the time when he most needs this virtue he finds himself devoid of it. No, sisters, let us rather think of ourselves as lacking it and not run into debt without having the means of repayment. Our treasure must come from elsewhere, and we never know when God will leave us in this prison of our misery without giving us any. If others, thinking we are good, bestow favors and honors upon us, both they and we shall look foolish when, as I say, it becomes clear that our virtues are only lent us. The truth is that if we serve the Lord with humility, he will sooner or later secure us in our needs. But if we are not strong in this virtue, the Lord will leave us to ourselves, as they say, at every step. This is a great favor on his part, for it helps us to realize fully that we have nothing which has not been given us. And now you must take note of this other piece of advice. The devil makes us believe that we have some virtue, patience, let us say, because we have determination and make continual resolutions to suffer a great deal for God's sake. We really and truly believe that we would suffer all this, and the devil encourages us in this belief, and so we are very pleased. I advise you to place no reliance on these virtues. We ought not think that we know anything about them beyond their names, or to imagine that the Lord has given them to us until we come to the test. For it may be that at that first annoying word which people say to you, your patience will fall to the ground. Whenever you have frequently to suffer, praise God for beginning to teach you this virtue and force yourself to suffer patiently. For this is a sign that he wants you to repay him for the virtue which he is giving you. And you must think of it only as a deposit, as has already been said. The devil has yet another temptation which is to make us appear very poor in spirit. We are in the habit of saying that we want nothing and care nothing about anything. But as soon as the chance comes of our being given something, even though we do not in the least need it, all our poverty of spirit disappears. Accustoming ourselves to saying this goes far towards making us think it true. It is very important always to be on the watch and to realize that this is a temptation, both in the things I have referred to and in many others. For when the Lord really gives one of these solid virtues, it seems to bring all the rest in its train. That is a very well-known fact. But I advise you once more, even if you think you possess it, to suspect that you may be mistaken. For the person who is truly humble is always doubtful about his own virtues, very often they seem more genuine and of greater worth when he sees them in his neighbors. The devil makes you think you are poor, and he has some reason for doing so because you have made, with the lips of course, a vow of poverty, as have some other people who practice prayer. I say, with the lips, because if before making the vow we really meant it in our hearts, what were we going to say? The devil could not possibly lead us into temptation, not even in 20 years or in our entire lifetime, 
for we should see that we are deceiving the whole world and ourselves into the bargain. Well, we make our vow of poverty, and then one of us, believing herself all the time to be keeping it, says, I do not want anything, but I am having this because I cannot do without it. After all, if I am to serve God, I must live, and he wants us to keep these bodies of ours alive. So, the devil in his angelic disguise suggests to her that there are a thousand different things which she needs, and that they are all good for her. And all the time, he is persuading her to believe that she is still being true to her vow and possesses the virtue of poverty, and that what she has done is no more than her duty. And now let us take a test case, for we can only get to the truth of this by keeping a continual watch on ourselves. Then, if there is any cause for anxiety on our part, we shall at once recognize the symptoms. Here is someone who has a larger income than he needs. I mean, needs for the necessaries of life. And though he could do with a single manservant, he keeps three. Yet, when he is sued in the courts in connection with a part of his property, or some poor peasant omits to pay him his dues, he gets as upset and excited about it as if his life were at stake. He says he must look after his property or he will lose it, and considers that that justifies him. I do not suggest that he ought to neglect his property. Whether or no things go well with him, he should look after it. But a person whose profession of poverty is a genuine one makes so little account of these things that, although various reasons he attends to his own interests, he never worries about them, because he never supposes he will lose everything he has. And even if he should do so, he would consider it of no great moment, for the matter is one of secondary importance to him and not his principal concern. His thoughts rise high above it, and he has to make an effort to occupy himself with it at all. Now monks and nuns are demonstrably poor. They must be so, for they possess nothing, sometimes because there is nothing for them to possess. But if a religious of the type just mentioned is given anything, it is most unlikely that he will think it superfluous. He always likes to have something laid by, if he can get a habit of good cloth, he will not ask for one of coarse material. He likes to have some trifle, if only books, which he can pawn or sell, for if he falls ill, he will need extra comforts. Sinner that I am, is this the vow of poverty that you took? Stop worrying about yourself and leave God to provide for you, come what may. If you are going about trying to provide for your own future, it would be less trouble for you to have a fixed income. This may not involve any sin. But it is as well that we should learn to recognize our imperfections so that we can see how far we are from possessing the virtue of poverty, which we must beg and obtain from God. If we think we already possess it, we shall grow careless, and what is worse, we shall be deceiving ourselves. The same thing happens with regard to humility. We think we have no desire for honor, and that we care nothing about anything. But as soon as our honor comes to be slighted in some detail, our feelings and actions at once show that we are not humble at all. 
If an opportunity occurs for us to gain more honor, we do not reject it. Even those who are poor and to whom I have just referred are anxious to have as much profit as possible. God grant we may not go as far as actually to seek it. We always have phrases on our lips about wanting nothing and caring nothing about anything. And we honestly think them to be true and get so used to repeating them that we come to believe them more and more firmly. But when, as I say, we keep on the watch, we realize that this is a temptation as regards both the virtue I have spoken of and all the rest. For when we really have one of these solid virtues, it brings all the rest in its train. That is a very well-known fact.